going to read one through um, the first portion of uh, verse 5. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler over Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she is, when she is in labor, has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And he shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Amen. How do you describe a friend? What is a true friend? What is the epitome of someone that's really a friend? Well, they, they love you, they care for you, they put your needs first in your life. If you need to be corrected, they will do that in gentleness and patience and love. They are there to help you when you have needs in your life and not there to judge you. The Bible speaks in several places about a friend, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. Proverbs 18, 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And then the words from our Lord. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. He laid down his life for his friend. This, of course, speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who is the perfect friend to us. He is our God. He is our Savior. But he's called in the Bible, friend. And I like that line in O Holy Night, born to be our friend. Uh, that can't happen apart from faith in Jesus. That can't happen apart from coming to Christ and surrendering ourselves to Christ and recognizing our love, or the love that we should have for him, in our hearts. Uh, the kind of friends that we think about are often, uh, they fail in one way or another. Have you ever had a friend disappoint you? Huh? Yeah, you have. Make over life, you've had friends, you've had friends hurt your feelings. You've had friends to betray you. You've had friends that have done things to you that you never thought they would possibly do. Listen to this. Christ will never, ever do anything to be spiteful or hurtful to you as one of his children, as one of those to whom he has redeemed. That's what we want to think about this morning, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the people of God, is the great shepherd, and he shepherds us in the strength and the power of God. Do you understand this, that Christ is always with you, no matter what you're facing, no matter what trial you're dealing with. Christ is there. And he's not there as someone who has a whip. He's not there as someone who scolds. 
He's there as someone who upholds you. Now, he wants us to come to repentance. If we're involved in lawlessness, he would have us to come to repentance. But we fail to grasp the depth of Christ's love. I love that in Ephesians. Oh, the depth of the riches of God's love for us. How unsearchable, how unfathomable are the riches of God's love for us. I've got to read it to you. Um, Ephesians in the third chapter where it is the second prayer the Apostle Paul prays in this, starting in verse 14 of chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you being rooted and grounded what in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's how much Jesus loves us. And so back in this Old Testament prophet, minor prophet uh, Micah, he speaks here of one who shall stand and shepherd his flock, in the strength of the Lord. And we know this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, uh, Christ shepherds his people in the strength and power of the Lord. Therefore, we should always live our lives in hope. And the first thing then, uh, Christ the great shepherd is one who teaches his people. How is it that you learn things in Scripture? Oh, you read it, right? You study it, but you understand it and can apply it by his grace, oh, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's why there's, there's an arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. What do you have that you do not receive? If you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And all boasting is wrong. So Christ teaches his people as the great shepherd. And we know there are teachers in the church. There are elders. There are both ruling and teaching elders, but all classes of elders should teach. They are to be apt to teach. They are to be discipling people. That is what elders are supposed to do. This means that they have individuals who have been called by God. Growing up in Mississippi, in Hattiesburg, a lot of the elders, it was just kind of a good old boy relationship. I mean, as to who, who do we like? There probably were people that weren't even converted on sessions. And there were likely people that had no business being on sessions. But they were. But here, from what the Bible teaches us, the elder is to be one who is called by God and equipped by God to do the task that God has called him to do. And they are to be men who are uh, faithful in preparation, who prepare to give instruction to the people of God. And they are to be men who are to be faithful to their calling as elders in the church who teach the people of God. But hear this, every elder in every church in every age is a sinner. 
every elder in every church in every age has to deal with sin in his life. That includes when he prepares lessons. That includes when he deals with people. That includes when he's unfaithful to the calling that God has given to him. Every elder in every church in every age is a sinner, and elders therefore fall short. Sin influences their lives. Sin influences teaching. Sin influences the way they carry out their task. But the teacher that is talked about here does not fall short. Elders fall short in character. They fall short in understanding. They fall short in their ability to teach. But the great shepherd who cares for his church, he is the perfect teacher. So Christ then uh, teaches his church by coming to us to help a needy people. As he describes it here in the text, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. In, in the book of Micah, these people that are being spoken of are terribly needy. God has abandoned Israel in chapter 3. He had abandoned them not because of his meanness, because of his justice, because they have ignored his dictates and they have begun to practice idolatry. Listen to this. God takes your sin seriously. I heard dear Bill Combs say that one night from the pulpit. He takes it personally. God takes your sins personally. I will never forget Bill saying that from the pulpit. Uh, he does notice and he does care when we do sin against him. And so we are a needy people, and the shepherd Christ comes to a needy people. Don't you see how desperately you need Jesus in your life? Don't you see how desperately you need Christ every single day? To be faithful, to be encouraged, to live in hope, to live successfully in the battles against sin. And we are a desperately needy people. And it is that we have a Savior who comes and who blesses us with his presence and grace. Well, here in Micah, it talks about until the one who is in labor has given birth. If I'm reading this quote to you, God will not fully vindicate and exalt his people until the virgin mother shall have brought forth her son. Remember, this is 700 years before Christ was born. And until Judah and Israel and all the true sons of Abraham among the brethren, the Gentiles, the elect, be converted, converted to Christianity, and he will give them true liberty. So it was not until Christ was born that redemption was actually accomplished. Not until Christ was born. Not until he did his work. Not until he went to the cross of Calvary. Not until he was held under the power of death for a time that God could look at us. You remember what it says in the book of Hebrews, that through Christ we have a clean conscience. We don't have to try to make ourselves good. We are to be obedient. Don't get me wrong. But we don't have to try to jump through hoops or do something so that God will accept us. He accepts us through Jesus. And remember, too, what it says in that great book of Hebrews the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He died to give us access to the throne of grace. And I remember Jay Packer in his book, Knowing God, and I've said this to you before. Packer talks about what a great blessing justification is. 
a declaration that we are not guilty. But Packer goes on in that book to say that the gift and grace of adoption is greater than justification. You have to have justification to have adoption. But Packer says God could have justified us and left us at a distance, but he not only justifies us, he brings us into his family. And you can say this, I am a child of the living God. He is my father. Not in theory, in reality. He is my father. And he loves me more than I can ever think or imagine. No matter what circumstances tell me. No matter what I may think or feel. You know that song, feelings? Nothing more than feelings. Feelings are very misleading. They can certainly be very destructive as we let them be our guide in our life, like the song of Pinocchio, let your conscience be your guide. Y'all ever see Pinocchio? Is it the Disney cartoon, the song, let your conscience be your guide? That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden, let their conscience be their guide. Uh, not, not the God, not the God of creation. And so it is when Christ is born, this prophetic reference to Jesus and the promise of Christ coming to shepherd his people who are needy people. Well, he is the standing shepherd, it says here in the text. The standing shepherd is one who is a victorious shepherd. How is Christ victorious? Well, it is that he accomplished what he came to accomplish. And you remember in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen's being stoned, there's Paul guarding the cloaks of those who are killing this Christian. And Paul's encouraging them on. Hit him again. He's not dead. And there Stephen looks up. Heaven opens up to him. And he sees the one who was born in Bethlehem standing at the right hand of God, welcoming this child into glory. The standing shepherd who stands in his success in his victories over sin and death. We do not need to be afraid of dying. We don't need to be afraid of it. Even Sproul, in the letter he wrote before he died, said, Pray for me if I am afraid. Well, death is the great, the undiscovered country, as Shakespeare put it, from which no one returns. All we've known is life. If you ever, there was a movie, great movie, Jimmy Cagney, called Angels with the Dirty Faces. It was one of the Dead End Kids movies back in the 30s. Humphrey Bogart played in it. Great movie. Pat O'Brien plays the priest in the movie. They were hoodlums together, Jimmy Cagney's character and Pat O'Brien. And Pat O'Brien uh, went to the ministry and became a priest. He's begging, he's begging Jimmy Cagney to be the coward when he goes to be executed. He's begging him because he wants the kids to reject James Cagney's character. And Cagney's a walking Got that look on that caggy look on his face, you know the, how he could look in his films, hard. He gets into the room with the electric chair. The way they did it was brilliant. They just show shadows. They show his hands grabbing uh, the radiator, crying, screaming. 
I don't want to die, he says. I don't want to die. And then uh, the lights go out, and you know what, what has happened. And the next day it's in the papers, so the kids reject uh, Jimmy Cagney. They don't want to be like him anymore, and they, want to, they follow him under the wings of Pat O'Brien, who is uh, the, their mentor now. Great, great movie. We should not be afraid to die. We should not be clinging to a, uh, a radiator uh, saying we don't want to die. We don't want to die. But we shouldn't be afraid of it. That's when our faith really comes to play. Some of you know uh, Gail Stahl. Her husband died about ten and a half years ago of cancer. It was a PCA pastor. And he knew he was dying. And he said to Danny McDaniel, who is uh, in our presbytery, now it's time for me to start living what I've been preaching all those years because it became a reality to him. But as those who are in Christ Jesus, and Steve was a great believer, was a great preacher, was a great man, we have that victory over sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's the standing shepherd. He is the ruling shepherd. And he rules over all things. We live in a society where some of the things that people believe would be silly if it wasn't so dangerous. Just plain silly. Actually stupid. And yet the people, someone in jest said, about uh, my grandson. I can't wait till he grows up to see if he wants to be a boy or a girl. It was a joke. Commenting on the absurdity of our society. We elected a Supreme Court justice that said, I don't know, I can't tell the difference in a man and a woman. Is there a difference in a bull and a cow? I wonder if she would tell, tell the difference in that. It's absurd. And it seems to me the absurdity is growing. It really does. But Christ is ruling. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus rules this country. Not Joe Biden. Not the senators in Congress. None of those people. It is the Lord Jesus who rules. As the one who is the shepherd of his people, he's ruling over the world, over the universe at every single moment. And he is the standing shepherd. He is an abiding shepherd. He is always with us. He himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. He is the abiding shepherd. And he is the caring shepherd. Christ cares for us. Have you ever had a situation in your life and you're going through that? Situation and it just makes no sense whatsoever, and you can't understand how in the world uh, this has any hint of God's loving kindness and God's mercy. And we know we were praying for the little child, a little child of several months old that had the cancer. Why? Why? It doesn't make any sense, does it? And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But Christ rules, and Christ cares, and Christ is a caring, great shepherd. A friend of mine's mother, a long time ago, committed suicide. A long time ago, I was in Muscle Shoals. And uh, David Justly, dear David Justly, 
great pastor, great friend. I asked him why. David said, we may never know why. But he said this, in glory, it won't matter. You see what Christ has done? As our great loving God, as our great caring shepherd, in glory, it simply will not matter. Because all things will be made right. He is a caring shepherd who protects us. He guards us so we will not fall away. Uh, he shepherds us as a shepherd leads his sheep. And he is the shepherd who is the feeding shepherd who takes care of us and gives us spiritual nourishment. Christ viewed himself as the great shepherd. He said that about himself. John 10, I am the great shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace through the blood of the eternal covenant. I'm going to read that one to you. Uh, it talks about Christ being the great shepherd. Hebrews chapter 12. This is a, um, a benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought up again from the dead, the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. That you may do his will, working in you, working in us that which is pleasing in the sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, the great shepherd of the sheep. You're never alone. He's never far from us. He is always with us, the great shepherd of the sheep. Well, the great shepherd then also is one who guards us by his great power, he will maintain the church. He he shepherds the church by the power of God, it says here in the text. You remember when Jesus was on the earth, people knew he was no ordinary man. Remember what they said about him? No one ever spoke like this. He speaks with authority. You remember when he was on the deck of the ship? And he spoke to the storm and calmed the storm. And the, the disciples said, well, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. He shall shepherd his people in the power and strength of the Lord. This also means as he shepherds in the power and strength of the Lord that he is subject to the Father. So we have to come to understand the incarnation, that Christ was subject to the Father. Because of the incarnation. Is Christ eternal? Yes. Is he part of the Godhead? Yes. Equal in power of the same substance, equal in power and in glory. But as the one who was incarnate, he said, my will is to do the will of the Father who sent me into the world. And we read in the book of Hebrews that because of his success, because of his faithfulness, he has been given the place of highest honor in all creation. He earned it, being at the right hand of God. We read that in the book of Hebrews. And we must always look at Jesus in the terms of his role as our intercessor. Always. Our great God, our great king, our great ruler, Christ ruling in the strength of the Lord, means that he has received power from God. When he was on the earth, talking again about the incarnation. That he looked to God, and God was always the one who enabled him as Christ looked to him. Yes, Jesus had power in himself, but he was also subject to the Father, the incarnation. That's how we understand that. 
Christ shepherds his people in the majesty of the name of the Lord. And two, three things to notice about the church under the rule of the great shepherd. Three things to notice about the church. Do you ever get discouraged about the church? My brother-in-law, whom I love dearly, his last day in the pulpit up in Lubbock, Texas. He was there for I don't know how many years. And it was not an easy ministry. Not an easy ministry. And then we see that so many places. Uh, the pastor at First President in Hattiesburg just resigned. Not because of anything nefarious, not because of um, um, anything moral of that nature. But we hear those kinds of things. Often you hear churches splitting, all those kinds of things happening. And we can become rather disheartened. I don't know if you all know this, but Lorraine Bettner, who wrote a lot of books, uh, quit attending church. He became so disillusioned with the church. He quit attending. He was an old man. I'm not going to tell you how old he was, 100 and something. Um, and he quit going to worship because he was disillusioned with the church. The church is going to do things that are wrong because the church is ruled by men who are sinful. But the church shall abide in spite of the mistakes that are made because our great shepherd is the one who is leading the church. Al Martin one time said, he was preaching, he said, I am surprised, just amazing to me as I look at the church, I look at the, the, the country, look at the situation, look at the morality. He said, I'm surprised God does not open up the heavens and come down and scream, enough, enough, enough unfaithfulness, enough of this business of watering down my word, enough, and yet our God rules. And he continues to rule even today. And there will come a time when he will say to the church here and no further. The church shall abide forever. And if you're a believer, he holds you in his hand and he will not let you go. Uh, we don't wander to and fro looking for salvation, looking for some salve to our conscience that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the boundaries of the church are worldwide. I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, or you—I'm sure you all have been out of the country, out of Texas. I mean, out of the country, out of Texas. When you go to people you don't know and they're Christians, there's a bond there. It's very nice. It's very amazing. You go to people that don't speak your language, but they're believers. There's a bond there in the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows the unity of the church in a very, very real way. The church is worldwide. And red, yellow, black, and white, it doesn't matter. We're one in the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing then, uh, very quickly, is Christ the great shepherd gives us peace. All of you know the fruit of the Spirit, the various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, which is, remember that word singular? The source is one. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, faith, and self-control against such things. There is no law. How many of you, and Ken, Ken Thurman preached a sermon last Sunday night that ministered to me greatly. How many of you 
lack peace in your life? How many of you lack joy in your life? How many of you lack patience in your life? One thing that Ken said, if you lack joy, pray for it. If you lack peace, pray for it. We hear our great shepherd that is mentioned in Micah, which is just amazing, so many centuries before Jesus was ever born, uh, for he, um, he will be our peace. Some of you know that when John Newton was converted, he was a slave trader before he was converted. And he was on a ship, and the ship was in a storm. And there were these Moravians who were German Christians, and they were praying in the storm. Not afraid, not upset, and Newton was terrified. He saw that, and it had an impact upon him. They had peace in the midst of the storm. How do we have peace in the midst of the storm? You have to trust Christ. You have to. You have to have faith in God's goodness. You have to. One of my life's verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own flaw to understand it. The word flaw is not there. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You know what it means to acknowledge God in all your ways? It means you look to him for guidance. You look to him for answers, and you accept his answers. He will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, we've got this great shepherd who loves us, who rules over the church, who has given us peace with God through his life and death and resurrection and given us peace with one another. So the peace is that it is with, um, with God who created all things. And it is also with one another. And the peace that God gives to us in Jesus is abiding. We should never lose that peace. We do. We know that we, we don't have peace all the time. We're unsettled. But the peace that Jesus gives is not taken away by disease, is not taken away by financial ruin, is not taken away by broken relationships, it's not taken away by loss of things in a flood or things in a fire. It's a permanent peace. Because there, as we live our lives and we have those losses and we have the bad news about tests that are made, there's Christ with us. Holding us in his hand. Securing us for our place in glory and assuring us of his love for us. Our Great, merciful, and kind shepherd. He always cares. He will always be with us. He always welcomes us into his presence. And he will never leave us, even when we fail. Even when we fail to be what he calls us to be. Because he is 
a loving shepherd who is committed to us. Are you committed to Jesus? Are you committed to Christ? Are you committed just to religiosity? Are you committed just to intellectual exercises? But are you actually committed to surrender your life to Christ? It won't be done unless we really trust him. Believe the Bible. Believe what scripture says. Ask God to help you to have faith and trust in him. The baby that was born grew up, defeated sin and death, and secured us to himself as the giver of eternal life. That won't ever change. And what we look forward to is a fuller enjoyment of it, a fuller experience of it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what great things God has in store for them who love him. Let's pray.